Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Hello, dads, granddads. Good to see you today. Wow. Whether they are involved in our lives or they are absent from our lives, it seems that dads have a profound effect on our lives. And uh, I read in a study this week that it's like back in 1965, dads did about two and a half hours of the chores around the house. And I'll have to say this for you young dads, you are killing it now because you've more than doubled those chores, those hours. Now you're spending about seven hours a week helping out at the house, but the ladies say you could do more, right? And so, but you're doing like two and a half times more than we ever did or my parents ever did. Fathers, today we're going to take a look at a father and uh, to try to see if we can glean some help from him, how to be a good dad. Uh, But I want to say this, you know, Trying to find a good example for father for a father in the Bible, you may think it's very difficult because the Bible is a very brutal book when it comes to being honest. I don't know if you've noticed this, have you? Yeah, you, you notice that there are a lot of failures in the Bible. I don't know if that gives you great confidence to know that you know this is a book that reveals the fact that we as human beings, we do fall short so often, and even God uses the people that he uses so often many times fall short David you know a man after God's own heart if you look at his family I did a thesis on David one time that a paper on David that it was I looked at it as the most dysfunctional family in the Bible and uh, his family was really quite a challenge but yet he did so much for God and then there's a guy named Eli in the Bible a priest to serve God in the temple, and he had two sons that he wanted to help serve with him, Hophni and Phinehas over in Samuel. And Hophni and Phinehas were just two of the most wicked sons you could ever have, and yet they worked in the church. Uh, in the Old Testament times, they would bring in these offerings of meat, and you would have to boil it, and uh, the edges where the fat is. Some of you guys are looking for like a steak today with that little tasty burnt piece of fat around the edge. You can admit it because I love it, a little piece around the edge. Well, you know, th- the guys were not supposed to eat that meat. They were supposed to save it and give it out to others and all. But these two characters, Eli's son, the preacher's son, the priest would take that food and eat it all just for themselves and not leave any for anybody else. And that's just the kind of the least that they would do. They would also take advantage of the women that came to the temple. These were really wicked young men. Serving and so, but the Bible has them in here. They allow these failures to be here for us and to let us know that indeed it's a difficult thing, maybe, to do life the way that God wants us to do it. But He doesn't leave us without resources, He doesn't leave us without excellent examples. And uh, one of the things we, we probably need to realize up front is that we tend to want to. Look at God through the picture or the screen of our own relationships with our fathers. True? Because that's all we've got. So we think if God is called father, 
then he must be somewhat similar to my father. But, you know, that gets us in trouble a lot of times. And reading, I've read a book, uh, a theology book, and this uh, theologian, Donald Bloch, looking at the terms of God, he got to the term father, and he said this, and I think it's really important that we listen to this this morning. So you don't turn, you don't tune out on me when I talk about the father and when I talk about God the father. So listen to this. Bloch says this about the term father God. It is God's designation of himself in relationship to Jesus Christ, first of all, and then to the members of Christ's body. Our human conceptions of fatherhood are judged and transformed in the light of God's self-revelation as father. In coming to know God as the loving heavenly father, we are then obliged to question patriarchal conceptions that portray father as a tyrannical ruler and wife and children as his subjects. It is from the fatherhood of God that all human fatherhood is named, not vice versa. You get this? It's like if your concept of what a good, healthy father is, is anything other than what God says he is, you've got the wrong concept of father God. And so what we have to do is we we have to kind of disarm a bit and go, gosh, my relationship and my experience with my father was not that great. And so whenever I start to think about God, I kind of relate to him the same way I relate to my father. If if you're withdrawn, you don't feel like you can go to him with things, you'll be like that with God, the father, because you think he's like that. If you think he's welcoming and that he's always there and he always has an ear and a heart for you, then you will treat a lot of times God that way. But there is no better news, believe me, for you than to realize that the very term father is defined by God himself and how he relates to his own son and to us. And if we ever get that right, it changes our whole perspective. It can heal us in so many ways and open us up in our relationship to God like we've never known. So let's keep that in mind as we read this story today. You've got to fill in. In the back of your handout, or on the very back, I think it is this morning. And if you want to take that out, you can. And, uh, and I'll have you fill it in as we move along. I'm going to read the passage this morning. This is uh, out of Luke 14, starting at verse 11. Now, this passage is well known to many of you, or, or you've heard the story of the prodigal son, the father before. Uh, Jesus told this story as he was having a conversation with a Pharisee and, her, and his disciples. Starting in chapter 14, Jesus was invited over to a religious leader's house, Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious leaders who tried to follow every single part of the Old Testament law. Every part of it. Matter of fact, they were so committed to it that they didn't leave it there. They actually added laws. You ever had a problem doing what the Bible tells you to do? Well, these guys... These jokers, they're like, hey, no, we can do even more than that. And so they added a list of which they could never do anyway. But they thought they could, and they thought they were the better ones for it. And so this Pharisee invites Jesus into his house. I don't think by a, you know, through good motivation. It was more through a confrontational motivation to try to catch him in something. And in these days, whenever someone came over to your house, you know, there was no Netflix, stuff like that. So... Where did they get their entertainment from? Well, it was conversation. It was conversation. And it was listening to people who had opinions and people who had been places and had 
uh, learn things. And, and any time there was somewhat of a confrontation, everybody wanted to hear it because that's entertaining. And so as this Pharisee began to talk and, and uh, Jesus began to answer, people began to come in up around. There was a courtyard in these homes. And so uh, the people would come in close enough where they could hear, just like we're kind of moving in closer to this morning with Jesus. We want to hear him tell the story, so we kind of lean into it. And so did the people outside that weren't invited to this party. And that was one of the big things the Pharisees had a problem with, is inviting people that were other than like them, people who weren't as serious about the law, wasn't as serious about that. They really had a big problem with Jesus inviting those folks into the kingdom of God. So these three stories that are in Luke 15 kind of reveal the heart of God for everyone, especially those of us who are lost, those of us who are disenfranchised, those of us pushed to the margins, those of us who feel fatherless, those of us who feel like there is no one that really cares about us. Uh, This is going to speak to all of us this morning. And so he's told a few parables, and we get to... Luke 15. I'm going to bypass in this story the part about the elder son just for time's sake. So uh, let's read this. Luke 15 verse 11. Start there. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country And there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Not a good place for a Jewish boy. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. Even the pigs wouldn't share with this guy. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And then jump down to verse 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. Help us be able to see your heart as father and help us as fathers and granddads, Lord, and as sons and daughters to be able to not only be fathers and granddads, but as sons and as daughters, to be able to relate to you in the way that you have made available. Help us today, Lord, as we lean in to hear the story. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, in your, uh, in your handout, your first feeling is this. As we look at this father, this father anticipated the best. He anticipated the best. He was looking down the road a long way off. I mean, he must have been, maybe he was going out there every day expecting. You know, I like the word anticipation because it's a little stronger than expectation to me. Anticipation has with it this uh, it has a part of putting yourself into it. You know, you remember that song, Anticipation by Carly Simon? So many, some of you do, some of you are way too young. Do you remember? <laughs> I know, Carly Simon, who's that? Married to James Taylor, who's James Taylor? I don't know. But uh, anyway, great songwriter, and there used to be a commercial on television for ketchup, right? right? Yeah, and there were these two little kids, and they would sit at the table, and there would be a hamburger or a hot dog there, and they would start squeezing out the ketchup, right? And it was so slow, and they were leaning in, and then Carly would come in, anticipation, you know, and these two kids, one would go, when's it going to get here? When's it going to get, you know? And uh, I, that's the way I see the father. I see the father anticipating. He's leaning into this. It's, he's not sitting back at the house. He's not going, man, my son blew it. I've had it with him. You know what? He took a third of, of what I owned. He's gone with it. And, I, you know, just had to no, know this father, this father leaned into outside of him. He's probably a very wealthy man, owned lots of land. And I got two sons running the property with him. And the youngest one takes off with his share and. You know, the, heart, the father heart of God is, is so different than many of us as fathers. It anticipates our return. It looks down the road. It looks down the aisles. It looks through your neighborhood. And he's expecting you to come back. He's leaning out to see day after day. No binoculars or anything, you know, not in that day. And looking and peering down the road. And I just wonder sometimes what our relationships would be like if we really anticipated the best, even from those in our lives who have maybe blown it. They've just blown it so many times, but, you know, along comes a father who is like, no matter how bad they've blown it, I'm anticipating their return. They're going to return. They're going to come back, and I'm expecting it, and every day he goes out. That's the, that's the heart of the father. That's the heart of God for you. Not turning his back, but the front part of him toward the road, looking and expecting to see you come down it, to come back to him. We take that and put it in our lives as, as dads, and so easy for us, isn't it? Like, man, you've screwed up so many times, I've had it. And we just don't want to, we really don't want to expect anything else because we really don't want to get let down again. And so our anticipation for good things to happen, we... Just put it in our lock and key and we shove it to the side. But God's not like that. God the Father is not like that. He continually looks and he continually anticipates you coming back to him. Secondly, he allowed himself to feel. It says he was filled with compassion. It's easy for not just dads, I guess all of us really, but since it's Father's Day and I'm a dad and a granddad now, uh, I've experienced some of this, but it's easy for us to kind of shut it down, isn't it? I mean, our feelings, to not really allow them to, to be given as a gift to those that we love the most. Now, this father didn't have any problem with that at all. He, he was filled with compassion, the same word that Jesus used many times when he talked about looking out at the people that were hungry, and it says he was filled with compassion. 
when he looked at Jerusalem and he was filled with compassion, uh, it means his insides just were gripped, kind of cramping inside, and, and he was just filled with love. And this father, the minute he saw that speck, and you know how you can recognize your kids, their walk, how they carry themselves, you know, it's, you recognize their voice, you recognize the way they look, way off. He sees his son way out there, and his heart is filled with this, this sense of love and this sense of wanting to hold him and wanting to see him, this compassion and this sorrow in his heart over that he has been gone for so long and that he's had to go through what he went through in order to... And this is a picture of repentance on the son's part because it says he got up, right? That's repentance. You get up from where you are and you go a different direction. So the son, you know, he's he's sitting there with the pigs, good Jewish guy. He's not going to eat pork, but he's feeding the pigs and he's like, I'll eat your food. Just let me have your food. You know, and he gets up and he says, this is terrible. I'll just go back. He repents. He turns and he heads back toward the father. So the father Maybe not knowing, of course, God the Father knows. We may not know what all our kids have been through. We may not know the suffering they've been through. We may not know what they're struggling with. But the heart of God the Father, and maybe maybe us as fathers as well, you know. Maybe, maybe if we allow ourselves to feel a little more, to be in touch with that fatherhood, that thing. Remember when your child was born, dads? Remember that moment? I know, I think Doug Dorman said the, uh, the other day that there's something around 13, an alien comes and takes your child's brain. Yeah, you know, and, and he comes and takes your child's brain at 13, and then around 25, he brings it back, and, and everything's good. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're a parent, you understand that. And, um, but, you know, what if we allowed ourselves that compassion and to feel? This, this father had no problem with that, releasing that. It's there. It's there. You know what compartmentalization is? You know, how you can take a feeling that you have and you can't allow yourself to feel because it's going to make you vulnerable. It will weaken you in that moment. And there are good times to compartmentalize. Soldiers have to do that at times. People going through very traumatic situations in order for help and all, they have to compartmentalize in order to finish something, to get something done. So it's not that that's always unhealthy, but it is unhealthy to do it all the time and to lock away a feeling or an emotion somewhere that you had for someone because then there's a disassociation with that and you disassociate with the feeling and suddenly you're shut down. So when you want to feel, you don't don't feel anymore and you wonder why why don't I feel anymore why don't I I think God's going to help you this morning because your feelings were a gift from God this father the heavenly father that Jesus is telling the story about has compassion he feels it he senses it and he goes with it if I wonder what our families would look like if if we allowed ourselves to feel again to feel that love that we had at one time with those that we love the most. And we still do love the most, but we just haven't been able to show it. Your third thing is this. Notice that he responded physically. Now, here's, you know, there, he responded physically. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You know, he could have stood there and gone, my son's home. Oh, I can't wait till he gets here. I wonder if you'll cut off the left path and go back. Be just like him. Not to make, you know, no, 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 no. This father goes, I will meet him. I see him coming this way. I'm going to head out down the road as quick as I can and meet him there. He responded from what he felt with 
from what he was feeling inside, that compassion. He put flesh on those feelings and he took off to meet him, to show him love. Ran down. I've read some, some people say that since this guy was a wealthy guy and he was probably really well respected in this community and uh, people back then wore robes, as you know, and a, a man of this stature would never show his legs, ever. In public, have a robe down to his feet, sandals on his feet, very proper and all. But for this man to run, in order to run down the road, there is no way he could have done it without taking his robe and pulling it up over his knees where he could get going and run. It's like in that moment when he decided he was going to let this compassion out, he really didn't care what anybody thought about him. The only thing he cared about was getting to his son, just showing his son how much he loved him. I got to tell you, there is no bigger sign of a physical sign of affection than the cross of Jesus Christ. That is your and my testimony to how much God physically loves us. That he allowed his son to go to be broken, bruised, battered, and killed on a cross. That is his reaching out, running down the road to you, to meet you. That is his expression of love physically for you and for me. When we allow ourselves to feel and when we put flesh on it, uh, things can change. I I read some uh, studies, and this is uh, from the Biology of Touch from Berkeley Science Review. I read some interesting things, I know. Um, But listen to this. Let's read the first part of this. This is what happens when you show your love to someone. Receptors sensitive to pressure, warmth, and other triggers cause our bodies to release a rush of oxytocin. Oxytocin is thought to be involved with the promotion of associative behaviors such as compassion and which builds trust between individuals. That means that when you touch someone, your compassion level deepens. And that, uh, you can leave that up there a little bit longer, Scott. And, uh, and also the trust between the two begins to build. And so physically showing that compassion and that affection actually does something to us. It, it affects us biologically, mentally, and emotionally. Something begins to happen. Let's put the next part of it up, Scott. Let's read this. In our relationships with friends and colleagues, a three-second hug is the norm. <laughs> but solid men are going, yeah, amen. But science indicates that it takes much longer to get the true benefit from a hug. Once the hug lasts a full 20 seconds, oxytocin is released. Oxytocin is a bonding hormone that creates intimacy, lowers inflammation, reduces anxiety, and increases contentment. So I think we're just all going to stand up and we're going <laughs> to hug one another. For 20 seconds as all the men run right out of the door. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. You brought me to this church this morning. <laughs> 20 seconds. My word. That's like ridiculous. You know, it's like 20. Three seconds. I like the three seconds. That's good. Uh, you know, I, uh, I tried this on my grandson a couple of days ago when I read this, this report. And... Uh, my grandson's autistic, and he lives with us. And, and uh, I came downstairs, and I said, all right, 20-second hug. And, you know, he, looked, he looked at me. He looked at me. It was beautiful, you know, and it was 
And it, it, you know, it was awkward for me. I'm not a 20-second hugger either. Now, get, I don't, you know. So I'm, but you know what? The, I counted it off. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, But right around 10 or 12, you know, 13,000, 14,000, 15,000. I can't make it to 20,000. You know, and I looked at him. His eyes are filled with water and tears and and. I could feel in, in my body, I could feel something happening. And just as an experiment, it works. Now, you know, so, but but let, let me give you an out. Put the next part up, Scott. All right. If you want a dose of oxytocin, you're better off hugging someone you genuinely feel close to. All right. Rather than any random stranger or a coworker or boss, Save your best hugs for the people you love best, and oxytocin will do its work for you. So don't go to Walmart, start doing 20-second hugs. (laughs) I love you, man. (laughs) But, you know, there is something about that, isn't there? I mean, there's something that happens, and it's an amazing thing. God created us as feeling beings. I mean, sentient beings, we feel, we we, we have a biology that releases certain hormones and chemicals in our bodies that reinforce compassion and trust. God has made us an instrument of compassion to one another. And what, what would life look like for you if you could show physically your love and your compassion for those that you indeed do love the most, but it's a little bit awkward? What would it look like? How would life change? It's Father's Day today. You know, maybe one of you kids can grab your dad and hug him for 20 seconds, and he's going to push back probably. And about 10 seconds, he'll start crying. And about 12 seconds, uh, he'll be a puddle on the floor. And in uh, 20 seconds, you can help him up. And, uh, you know, but we're made like that. And isn't it wonderful that God, and this example that Jesus gives us of the Father, a really good Father, that this Father did not mind showing affection and love and compassion this is the god that loves us and again there's no what there's nothing any larger or more meaningful than the cross of christ to say here's how much i love you physically is i put my body on the cross for you to welcome you to love you to look for you to come back and then you got one more to fill in today, and this is it. Your last one is this. This father kept, made the main thing the main thing. He kept the main thing the main thing. And what was the main thing? It was the son. To see that he got back. To see that he was loved. To see that he was restored. And look what he did. This is, I mean, the son comes up. He's, he's like, Father, I have sinned. There's his confession. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be your servant. And look at the first words out of the father's mouth. What is it? Quick. And some uh, translations have, you know, have an exclamation point right behind that. Quick. It's like, don't waste any time, my friends, people in the house. Do it now before any more shame covers my son up. Quick. Get the robe. Throw it over his shoulders. That is a picture of the mercy seat of God where the, the gold was hammered out over the seat. And it was covered the mercy. It covered the sins of those who came and confessed. And it's a picture of this father saying, you've been shamed long enough. Here is something to cover your shame, my robe, over his shoulders. 
a ring on his finger. Shame will kill us. Shame will disenfranchise us. It will separate us from the people we love. It will separate us from God's good love in our hearts. And there is no doubt in my mind, and here this morning, there are people covered up in shame. You've been told that you weren't much. You've been shamed by words. Maybe you've been shamed by activities and and behavior. But I have to tell you that the Heavenly Father, this God that we serve in Jesus Christ, is here to remove your shame and to welcome you home this morning. And I also wonder about us dads. We grandfathers and all. Kind of easier as a grandfather, I have to admit to you, though. You know, you kind of get off the hook a little bit as a granddad. It's really, yeah, dive off the table. All right. You know, your, your grands. I mean, my granddaughter, you know, they climb there, you know. My grandson, whoa, diving off tables, you know, breaking things. And, you know, when my kids are like, I'll be, you know, it's like, get on. Then when the grandson, whoa. That's great, man. What a wonderful jump. Let's try it again. All right. One leg left on that table. Take it out. You know, it's it's easier with the grandkids, I have to admit. But what if we did quickly, when those that we love the most came back to us, if we quickly would not let them revel and just dig into the shame and dig into the sorrow that's their life. But we immediately got them in our arms and we covered them with the grace that many times only a dad can give. Because that robe of righteousness that Jesus throws over our shoulders relieves us of all of our unrighteousness, wipes it all away, and covers it for all time's sake. And we've been given an example of a wonderful father. God, may you help us to be dads, moms as well, like this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Dad. Holy God, righteous Father. Father that is pure and strong and mighty creator, but yet you would come to earth, give your life for us, run down the road of this world to meet us, To call us back to yourself and then cover us with your own righteousness so we can come home and feel shame no longer. Thank you. Just as the son got up, it says, he got up out of that pig pen and he went home. We've started a tradition here of getting up because you can't go anywhere if you don't get up. We start a tradition here of getting up in response to the sermon at times. And This morning I would like to ask like, if you feel that you're covered in shame this morning and you would love to have the robe of righteousness draped over your shoulders so that you can take and receive the righteousness of a Holy Father for yourself this morning if you would stand. Just stand. You know if this shame is playing a big part in your life because I know it's played a big part in my life so I've had to receive a lot of ministry in this area yes someone come and pray please and uh, remember Vineyard people we're there for people nobody stands alone nobody stands alone thank you Jesus yes over here Gary 
Father, throw your robe over us this morning. Let us just feel the word, well done. (laughs) Like Jesus heard it, and he hadn't done anything yet. Well done. Well done, my son, in whom I am well pleased. Thank you, Lord. Next, I wonder how many of we fathers, we would say, gosh, that's... That's a pretty, that's a beautiful thing you described from the scripture this morning, Tim, but that's a real challenging thing for me. But I want to be a good and holy father, and I want to be an example of who you are to my kids. If you would like prayer for that, would you stand, dads, this morning? Can you be so bold to do it? Yeah, stand up. I'm standing up. God help me. That's right. Let's stand. Father, you see see us all fathers here standing and going, God, help us to show your mercies and to show your love and your compassion to our families in a greater measure. We humble ourselves before you, Holy Spirit. We ask for you to fill us so that we can sense what you sense when you see your children headed back to you. Give us your heart, your love, your forgiveness, Lord, that we can extend. Your reconciliation. Come, Jesus. Come, Lord. One last call. Then we're all going to stand and we're going to go on to our Father's Day here. Maybe this is your, you're hearing the call. You're far off. You're headed back. But you have seen your Father run down the road to greet you this morning. And you need to begin your life with Christ this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand too. Get up from where you are and stand and head back toward your Father this morning because he is running down the road to meet you right now. If you just stand, we're going to stand with you. Anyone here and say yes to Jesus this morning. Yes. I'm beginning my journey with him today on Father's Day 2016. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.